Kira, good morning. Thank you. Thank you. It is nice to be back in this most beautiful country. I have been away for three weeks, um, spent most of that time in Madagascar. And um, quite amazing, you know, the country there, it's got the third poorest living standard in the world. It's um, full of corruption from every aspect of life and society through. It's uh, got the highest case of, or the most worst affected case of malaria uh, anywhere. And currently it's been ravaged by quite a bad plague that has cost um, a couple of hundred lives. So when you get to a place like that, as I know many of you have known, you see the desperate, desperate need. And one of the things that they wanted me to do, they asked me to come in and spend quite a focus on meeting with the Christian business people because they do see that they're a big part of the hope for Madagascar because many of them are doing quite well. Of course, they have to work with the corruption and everything else that's around them. But they have such a, cha- such a heart to see the place changed. And we had some amazing meetings together. It was a very intense uh, schedule of meetings, but we had some amazing meetings together. But the other thing they asked me to do is in the Christian meetings, they said, can you come and bring a word, uh, bring a ministry that Jesus is more than just a personal saviour? Can you come and teach us biblically that he is a hope for a nation and he can bring transformation? Uh, They're desperate for change, absolutely desperate for change. So I uh, had the the privilege of sharing quite a few messages around that. Um, And for most of the time, a couple that brought me in are Swiss. Uh, They come in and minister regularly in Madagascar from Switzerland. So they brought me up there. And um, I, uh, one of them was translating me into French, which is the um, most common language over there. And I have never seen me preach so well. Uh, she was getting so animated and so excited as I was preaching. I thought, I know I'm not that good. She is, I, I should just stop and let her go for it. So that was a lot of fun. She translated uh, many, many messages for me as we travelled around. So that was a lot of fun. But um, then we went to a place that I did quite a big um, Christian leaders meeting, some of them representing some big churches, and I was speaking to them. And at this time, a guy was translating me. And in the middle of the translating me, he just grabbed me by the arm and broke down and cried and said, I can't translate you anymore for a while. Can you give me some space? So we took a 10-minute break, and he just said, what you're saying, uh, we have just longed to hear that Jesus is a hope for a nation, that Jesus can bring redemption to corruption and to everything, that we can now have hope. And he said, to hear it from the scriptures, he said, has just overwhelmed me. So we had a break, and then he continued to translate, and uh, we had some amazing times. So it was a real privilege to be there. I have been deeply impacted by it all, the need, of course, is... Uh, um, uh, you know, amazing, I could say horrendous. But one of the things, and it leads me into my message, here's what the people are desperate for. They are desperate, desperate for Jesus, obviously. Desperate for change. 
They're saying we will do anything for change. Whatever it costs us, whatever it requires of us, we want change. We don't want to be left where we are today. And we know those who know Jesus, we know we have salvation. That is not what we're passionate about. We're passionate to see change. So, uh, yeah, wonderful time. I could talk all morning about that, but I won't. We need to move on. So I want to share this morning about moving on with God. I want to pick up a passage that I have spoken a number of years ago, I think, here about uh, before, but just it just has an emphasis on my heart for this morning. So for those of you that are looking it up and whatever you're using, it's in Numbers 32. And the story in Numbers 32 uh, gives a story about the people of Israel who after 40 years in the wilderness are now finally going to be given the opportunity to enter into the promised land. And obviously they're incredibly excited and and God's been ministering to Joshua as first the understudy of Moses. Moses is is, um, uh, involved in this situation. They're getting ready. They're getting prepared. They're going to go in. And in Numbers 32, I'm just going to read the first five verses. Uh, what I'm preaching on is the whole chapter, but I'll, I'll cover, for the sake of time, I'll cover some of the other, uh, the other verses that come up. So in verse 1 it says, Now the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad had an exceedingly large number of livestock. So when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that it was indeed a place suitable for livestock, the sons of Gad and the sons of Reuben came and spoke to Moses and Eleazar the priest and to the leaders of the congregation saying, and I'm not going to let you laugh at me as I try and pronounce all their names, which is in verse 3, so you can read them. So I'm getting now going to verse 4 which says, The land which the Lord conquered before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. So they said, If we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us across the Jordan. Uh, Tribes of Reuben and Gad see the land this side of the Jordan and desire it. So the rest of the chapter reveals that at first Moses is very angry because he knows that they have to go in and they have to take the land and they need, to, they need the full support of all the tribes. So they come to the nego- negotiating table after Moses has accused them of dishonouring their responsibilities to stand with their brothers and sisters and they work it out. So the tribes of Reuben and Gad say, okay, we will leave our women and our children under a guard here, we'll come up with you, we'll fight with you until the land has been taken, then we will come back to this wonderful place that has everything that we need. And so uh, Moses agrees, and that's exactly what they do. That's what takes place. So it seems on the surface that it was a good compromise, and all is well. Uh, Their request wasn't unreasonable. They honoured their responsibilities to their brothers and the sisters, and they gained a portion of land which was really suitable for them. Unfortunately, it was a tragedy. It was an absolute tragedy, and I will give you the end of the story at the end of my message. And so we need to dig in and say, well, why? 
What went wrong? Why is this a problem? It all seems reasonable. So much about our life seems reasonable. And we have to take it before God to get a perspective. So I want to pick up three points this morning that I think are relevant to all of us today. So the first one is this, and very much in the Western world today, we can so easily get caught in the trap of materialism. It's so easy to get locked into uh, what are our possessions? What do I have? And so here, here are these tribes. They had an exceedingly large number of livestock. Who do they believe was the source and the provision for them having an exceedingly large, num- large livestock? It's the blessing of God. Furthermore, for those of you that are from a farming background, it would probably be quite hard, you would think, to keep a large number of livestock alive for 40 years in the wilderness. I think it would be a challenge to any farmer. And I think without the provision and without the blessing of God, it would not be possible to do that. It really wouldn't. So it's easy to see that their, their blessing, which has come from God, and even the ability to maintain their provision has come from God, suddenly becomes the guiding fact of their lives. And it's easy for all of us to miss out on the purposes of God because we are so concerned for our possessions. We are so concerned for what we have And this may be more than just materialism. It may be our pride. It may be our position. It may be what we believe we have or hold in the community. It may be our reputation. We have just prayed for Christians and many other places who all of those things have been stripped away from them and taken away from them. But it doesn't leave them bereft. It doesn't leave them with nothing. They have the power of the gospel, the power of the life of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we needed to be guided by. Now, I'm not an ascetic, and most of you know me. I believe that as we steward well, even material possessions, we can expect increase. I can find a lot of scriptures to find that and support that. That's not the point. But as anybody who is rich in possession soon discovers, the more you have, the more you have to worry about. Who knows that? If you own your own home and I came home from being three weeks away, I can't use my study. A pipe burst downstairs, flooded the whole place. All the carpets pulled up. Everything's taken and I have a major job. See, if I didn't own my own home, and I'm glad I do, by the way, it would be the landlord's problem. I'd just say, hey, fix it. Uh, But the fact is, it's my problem. I own the property. I have to steward it. I have to get it all fixed. I have to put up with the real pain. And it really was a pain. I was annoyed. I have to put up of making it fixed. So the more we own, the more we have to worry about, and the more we have to steward. And our challenge is to make sure these things don't get between us and God and God's calling on our lives. And that is so important. The couple that brought me into Madagascar um, have very little 
in forms of worldly possessions. Yet they're a wonderful, blessed couple. They're in their 60s. They have happy marriage, great family, and are really on fire for God. Delightful people and delightful to be with. So it's so important that we bring Matthew 6.33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all else will be given for you. It's so important. We constantly bring Matthew 6.33 in before whatever it is God has blessed us with materially. And I have said to you many times before, everything that we own in a material possession, ultimately finishes up at the rubbish dump. That's where it ultimately goes, and it's so important to remember that. Okay, the second point. In uh, verses 4 to 5, it says this, The land which the Lord conquered before the congregation is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. And so they go on to say, if we've found favor in your sight, let us stay here and have it. So here is is the second point. First point, materialism. The second point, present satisfaction. See, they were not prepared to wait for something better to come. They were not prepared to forsake something visible, something tangible, something they could see, something that was right here. They were parked, if you want to use that word, on this area that gave good food and everything for their livestock and they liked it, they appreciated it and they said, we don't want to move on. We don't want anything different. We like it here. We like things the way they are here. And they had been promised something miles better from God, but they couldn't see it. It wasn't visible. It wasn't there to be seen at this stage. And Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things unseen. The assur- sorry, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. It's, we can't see it. Often God will call us to forsake things, for, forsake where we are, present enjoyment, present satisfaction, things we are currently enjoying and saying, I want you to move on. And frequently we're going to say, unless you can show me something better, unless I can be guaranteed it's going to be better, I don't want to move on. I want to stay here and enjoy whatever it is I'm participating in at the moment. And it's easy to get locked into this. And I believe the scriptures do tell us to enjoy what we currently have. But not at the expense of Jesus taking us further into his kingdom. And this reveals a further problem. And I'll try and avoid getting on some of my hobby horses. But a further problem that is so prevalent in Western society today, and I want to bring it, sorry, in Western Christian society today, that is so prevalent. See, Christian faith in the Western world is largely pessimistic to the future. Now, firstly, we have been so ravaged by a shocking eschatology 
totally unbiblical that says we are getting out of here. The world's gone to hell in a handbasket. There's nothing Jesus is interested in doing about it. So there is nothing we should be bothered to do about it except just enjoy what we have and get out of here with the rapture. Now, not only is that so unbiblical and so contrary to the kingdom of God, it makes us the ultimate pessimists about the future. So whenever anybody brings hope for the future, we say, no, 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 no. Don't you watch the six o'clock news. There is no hope except to get out of here. And the other thing that we get caught in, and I've been around this church for a long time, nearly 40 years, and I've been around the whole thing of Christianity. We get caught in saying we want to go back to the wonderful old days. Things were much better then. Things were much more exciting then. Different things. God was moving in a way then that is just not moving now. These things that, that never used to happen. And so as Christians, we go against the very grain of our nature and godly design. Listen to me here. We go against the very grain of our nature, the very godly design we have been given and the very work of the Holy Spirit when we do not build, when we do not reform and when we do not transform. And that means every aspect of life, not only as individuals, but as a church. And I'm talking right now about Lane Park Church. I am grateful for where we have got to now, but we must change. There is more land to be taken. There is more things to be conquered. There is more that God wants us as a church to lay hold of. And one of the enemies we have is present satisfaction and constantly looking back to the good old days. See, I am a passionate student of history. I love reading and studying history, particularly Christian history. I've spent most of my life doing it. And I want to say this now because it's the 500-year a celebration of the Reformation and a whole lot of stuff going on all around the world which excites me and I'm interested in. But I want to say here, I don't want to go back to 1554 in Geneva when Calvin transformed that city in a most amazing way. I don't want to go back there. I don't want to go back into 1905 to the Welsh revival which swept through that nation and every aspect of it. And I don't want to go back to the 60s and the 70s, the amazing charismatic movement which had a huge impact on my life personally and still does today. And many of you here. I don't want to go back to those things. I want the kingdom of God. And I want more than I currently have. And I want to experience more than I currently have. And this is not about me. This is about we. I cannot do that without you. I'm after it. I have been to a country with virtually no resources at all. And they're saying, the one thing we want is change. We want a message that will not leave us where we are. I want that message for here. 
that won't leave us where we are. We need to move on. Part of the kingdom is here now, Luke 17, 21. It is here within us, but it's only part of it. And there is much more Jesus has for us if we are prepared to move on, reach out, lay hold of it and go for it, even when it costs us something. See, the prodigal son demanded his inheritance now and he finished up with pig slops. And I don't want that. I don't want it for me and I don't want it for you. See, it's easy enough to say, I have enough hassles coping with now. Don't bother me with the future. I want to live for today and in remembrance of yesterday and I'll worry about tomorrow when it comes. Here's the problem. When tomorrow does come, if we're not prepared for it, we can't lay hold of it. I was in a meeting here in 1981 and a prophetic man was ministering and I hadn't met him and he stood me up in the meeting and he said to me, you are going to take the gospel of the kingdom of God to the nations. And he gave me some direction of what I needed to do in preparation. Now, honestly, guys, I thought that would be one or two years. It was 11 years later before that started to happen. And, I mean, if he had have said that at the time, I just probably would have sat down again and said, find somebody else. I had, to, I had plenty of other things to do in the meantime. But I had to wait for 11 years in a place of preparation before God was able to say to me, I have now got you to the place where you can be of some use to me. And at that point, he called me out. Amazing. Amazing. And when I did start to go out. It went to six months of the year very, very quickly. And without the foundation of preparation that I had have done over those 11 years, I couldn't have achieved it because I couldn't do it on the run, guys. I couldn't bluff it. I couldn't fake it. And I still can't today. For the time that I'm still away now, I have to do much more preparation at home to be able to achieve what God wants from me. And we've all read the parable about the ten virgins. Five had pre-prepared for what they believed Jesus was going to bring, and five hadn't. And when the five ran off to make the preparation then, it was too late and they missed out. So the second point was present satisfaction. The third one and the last one I want to talk to you about. Do we choose human wisdom or divine revelation? See, the third mistake they made, they trusted their own human wisdom above God saying, I am leading you into a place beyond anything you could ever imagine over the other side of the Jordan, a place of milk and honey and beyond anything you could ever dream of. But they went with their own sense of reasonableness and said, do not take us across the Jordan. 
So they relied on what their own wisdom and their own senses told them. And these conversations were going on amongst themselves instead of following the word of the Lord. And often we get stuck in our own situation and the conversations we're having amongst other people instead of following the calling and the moving on of God. And it's a trap for all of us. And it is very important when the Spirit of God's moving that we be very careful who we talk to and who we are influenced by and how we are influencing other people. That is so important. I know who to go to when I'm down, discouraged, or maybe getting a whole wrong perspective of life. And I go to people that speak the word of life to me and build me up and put me back where I need to be. And I'm not talking about positive speaking or false hope. But I'm talking about people who have a perspective of God and where he moves and how I can line myself up again with him to stay in in tune and walking in harmony with him over it. See, I'm not saying we can't use our own basic common sense and our brain. God gave us them and he expects them to use them. But John 7, 17 is a very important scripture. Because it says this, if anyone is willing to do his will, press pause, what comes first? Willing to do his will. He will know of the teaching. We've got to get this, guys. We have to be prepared to do Jesus' will before we understand, before we run it through our process of reasoning. Otherwise, reasoning is the most powerful God in our life, not Jesus. We're saying, hang on, Jesus, I'm going to run this through my filter, and if it seems reasonable, I will do it. Reason then is our God. Jesus is secondary and put underneath reason. And in John 7, 17, it says, if anyone is first willing to do his will, is first to be prepared to be faithful and obedient, then he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. Obedience comes first. Willingness to move on comes first. It is so important. And this is going to require all sorts of pressures and tests and persecutions because that's what, according to Scripture, the church is about. Acts 14, 22. Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. That's speaking to us, guys. And we don't have to face what... Peter's led us in this morning, the persecution and the situations that many people are facing. We don't have to face the poverty and the plague and the corruption that people in Madagascar face. We haven't got to face any of those things here, but we will still face trials and tribulations and challenges because we have an enemy who is going to do anything he can to stop us moving forward and laying hold of what it is Jesus has for us. So here's where we go. Here's the tragedy. The greatest tragedy in this whole story 
is when that when Israel moved on, so the tribes of Reuben and Gad stayed here on this side of the promised land. When Israel moved on, what did Israel take with them? The Ark of the Covenant. What is the Ark of the Covenant in Old Testament times? The presence of the living God. These people settled for material possessions, present satisfaction, human wisdom, and they watched as the presence of the God of God left their midst, crossed the Jordan, and left them behind. Brothers and sisters, nothing is worth letting the presence of God move on out of our midst. Nothing is worth it. They let it go. They let the presence of God depart from them. And we need to understand that God is always moving on. We must never say we've made it, we've arrived, this is it. We can't say that until Jesus returns because he's always got something better for us. He's always got further territory for us to conquer and for us to lay hold of. There will be no ultimate finality of the kingdom of God until Jesus returns and we need to settle that. We should be excited about it. Our love must be for the presence of God and the zeal for his kingdom, which is meant to consume us. It's meant to take us hold of us uh, in everything that we do. So the, the tribe of Reuben and Gad moves on. And so guess what they do? Sorry, the, the Ark of the Covenant and the people of Israel move on and leave the tribe of Reuben and Gad here. So guess what they do? They build an altar. And they say, we've built an altar so that our children may remember a time when the presence of God was amongst us. It was a time a generation ago or three generations or four generations. Come and have a look at this altar because this altar is a memory of once there was a time when the presence of God was amongst us. And I want to tell you there is altars all over the Western world. Many churches are altars. Many material possessions and things we have that God has given us are altars and we make a monument out of them and we let the presence of God go because we like what this thing is that becomes a monument. If you go to Wales and go through Wales and look through what took place in 1905, you will see many, many, many stone building churches that were built then to accommodate the people and they're all gone and they're all empty and they stand as a monument for the testimony of when God once visited that nation. Nothing is worth that cost. Nothing is worth paying the price. Let me tell you what finally happened to the tribe of Reuben and Gad, and it's in 2 Kings chapter 10. The warring tribes came up against Israel, and they came across two tribes, Reuben and Gad, outside of the covering, outside of the protection outside of the unity that they could stand with their brothers and sisters and they were wiped out. 
completely wiped out. A remnant remained, the scriptures teach us, just to fulfill God's word and God's purpose that they were part of the final tribe. They were slaughtered. They let the presence of God go. They lost his protection, his covering, as well as everything else. And all their animals and their wealth was taken away by King Hazel of Damascus. He took it all away. They lost nothing, and only a remnant of them even saved their lives. And here's the message. By not moving on, not only did they miss out on what God had for them in the future, They lost everything he had given them in the past. And that same voice of the Holy Spirit calls to you and calls to me today that if we don't move on, if we're not prepared to accept change, if we're not prepared to move forward to the next aspect and the next part of what God has got for us, we will end up being a monument and losing what we had. Obviously, we are facing some change here in Lane Park Church. And some of those things are going to be very challenging and very difficult. Brothers and sisters, we've got to move on. We can't stay here. We can't stay here and be a remnant. Whatever is God's done in the past, which we thank him and worship him for, it's not enough for the future. It's not enough to let us build and change lives and experience him in a greater and a deeper way. We have to move on. We have to move on. And I am grateful for the eldership we have that have prepared to take us forward even when some of us go kicking and screaming under the conviction of God. Let me finish with Hosea 6.3. So let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn, and he will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. Father, we thank you, I think, that you're always going forward. There's a danger in it. There's a danger in it, Father, that we could be left behind. There's a danger in it that we could say, no, I have too much here to risk losing it. Or we can say, no, I like things the way they are. Don't disturb it. Yet, Father, you never stay in one place. Lord, help us take your hand. We don't want to run in front of you, Lord, but nor do we want to fall behind you. Help us be bold. Help us be courageous. Help us be people of vision who see the future. And when we can't see it, know that there is something out there that is better than what we have now because you have promised it. And you had it for us before we even came into existence. Help us follow your lead, Father. As you seek to move us on, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.